0: Well, hello friends and welcome back to another podcast. Today I am here and I also have Sarah here. And hello. so um, Sarah and I will be chatting with you all from our Sunday sermon. And so our Sunday sermon was over Mark ten thirty five through 45. And in the modern service, we had Pastor James preaching, but at our 8 a.m. service, Sarah actually preached. And so I'm really excited to dig more into the scripture and into this text with her here. So Sarah, will start off by giving
1: you guys a summary of what she talked about. All right. So like Melissa said, we were looking at Mark 10, 35 through 45, and I started out, and I think Pastor James said as well, we both felt very strongly that you got to look at the context for this particular piece of scripture. It's um, always important to look at the context, but with this scripture in particular, very important. So starting in verse 32, Jesus is actually um, telling his disciples that... When they get to Jerusalem, the next place they're going to go, he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tortured and then he's going to be killed. So he delivers that, you know, foretelling, if you will, um, starting in verse thirty-two, and then immediately following that, the next thing anyone says, according to Mark's um, gospel, is James and John, who are said to be the two sons of Zebedee. I love that word, Zebedee, <laughs> in um, in scripture immediately ask Jesus, okay, what about me? What about us? Um, And they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And they say, what we want to do is in glory, when you're in heaven, we want to sit on your right and on your left. And Jesus tells them, well, I don't, are you are you willing to do what you have to do to take up that mantle, or do you know what you're asking? Is actually something specifically he says to them. You don't know what you're asking, and they very confidently say, "Yes, we are able. We we can do whatever it is that you're going to do." Um, and he's referring to the crucifixion there. They don't know that, but that's what he's referring to. Um, and then eventually, um, the rest of the disciples get upset and agitated and. They're frustrated because James and John have kind of inserted this back plan that they have, feels very calculated. Um, So Jesus then calls all of them to him and says, okay, let's, you know, last word on the subject. If you want to be first, if you want to be the leader, you've got to be the slave of all. Basically, if you want to lead, you've got to serve. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. Um, And talks about his role on earth that he didn't come to be served and to be honored. He came to serve us. He came to die for us. And if that's, um, if we want to lead, if we want to rise, we have to start there. Um, that it's not about being served and aiming for that highest place of honor. It's actually about aiming down in a way and figuring out how we can serve others, which we call modern day servant leadership. So that's kind of the, um, summary of that very complicated text and lots of relational dynamics and all kinds of weird stuff happening, happening yeah. there. And that's how we landed on servant leadership.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Great summary. Definitely. Um, if you haven't read it, go read it, but that was also a fantastic summary. And so um, moving forward, I wanted to ask Sarah a couple questions about just how she approached um, her sermon and speaking this text and how do we then um, give action steps to a congregation based on this text. And so Sarah, how did you first approach um, this particular text out of so, we obviously see how you approach the history and the content, and what was there. So, then what was that next step into? Okay, now what do I say off of this? How did you approach that?
1: So, the main thing um, for me was I wanted to see what other people had said about this text because this is a fairly well known piece of scripture, especially the end when he talks about serving others and that famous phrase, um, not so among you, or um in different ways and different translations, but I think ours was not so among you. That's something that we've heard a lot. So I knew it was a a fairly popular text. So I started by looking at commentaries and seeing, okay, what else, what are scholars that know more than I do saying about this text? And so they, you know, then that's when you really start to look at the relational dynamics and the history of James and John. Like I didn't know until I saw in a commentary that um, I was reminded that James and John and Peter were like, Jesus' favorites like they were the ones that were close to him so when you think about that James and John have totally left Peter in the dust and the first thing I thought was like this is like a Regina George on Wednesdays we wear pink like what are you doing it's just so rude they totally left him in the dust. And like, I didn't realize that until I looked at the larger, you know, the smart people. Not that I'm not smart, <laughs> but I love that we have the option now in 2020. i okay. Their whole job is to study it. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do the smart people say about this? And that was something that one of the commentators pointed out was, what about Peter? And I was like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what about Peter? They totally left him out. And so that's where I started was looking to see um, what other people had said. And then continuing in that theme, I was sitting at lunch with some of our buds here at Asbury. So I was with um, Shelby Hood and Jesse Johnston from the student ministry team and Mason Miles and um, Andrew Lyman from Kids. And I said, hey, I'm gonna read you this text and sorry for crashing lunch, by the way, with this text. (laughs) I said, I'm gonna read you this text and I want you to tell me what it makes you think of. And I just listened to them. I just had my phone and listened to what they said and hearing the different ways that it resonated with them helped me to understand the different ways it might resonate with you, the listener or the person sitting in the congregation. So that was important to me. That's where I got some of these ideas that I touched on, like the the metaphor of the doormat, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. And um, this idea of taking up mantles are all things that came up as we were just discussing the text. So that's kind of how I approached it. I wanted to know how the smart people, quote unquote, um, what they saw. And then I wanted to know what regular people <sighs> Think of when they when they are approaching this text, and that's really what shaped how I wanted to approach it for the congregation.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this text, and I mean both sermons, Sarah's and James, um, had great application points and were awesome for digging that into the life. But the question that I, as I listened, was thinking about and mulling over in my brain was just, you know, what's the difference between self care and being a servant? Because mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, could be a whole nother long, long series on yes. a, of its own, just because that's such an important thing. And um in today's world, you know, the church is saying, be a servant. And then everywhere in the world, it's saying, take care of yourself. And mm-hmm. um, I think both are extremely important. Both are extremely important to Christ. And so yes. they fit together beautifully. And so we're going to kind of just dive into that. And so Sarah already brought it up, the lovely word doormat, which I'm sure you're <laughs> curious about how that applies to this. So I'm going to have Sarah explain her doormat example.
1: All right. So um, yes, I'll second what you just said. I feel like we could do a whole sermon, maybe even oh, a whole yeah. sermon series on the different on understanding self care and being a servant. So, yes, huge, huge point of contention, and I think maybe even confusion when we look at some of what Jesus said. So I pulled the the doormat metaphor in that I feel like when we talk about servant leadership or humility in the church, we love to bring up Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That's the most common thing we bring up, and it's a beautiful picture of it, so I get why it's something that we talk about a lot, because um, what a picture of of humility. So we like to talk about that and use that as our springboard, if you will, for um, what it looks like to demonstrate humility. But the thing is, like, I think if we really think about that metaphor, like we don't have someone at home, I'm assuming Melissa, like you don't have someone at home that when you walk in the door, takes off your shoes for you and washes your feet. No, unfortunately not. I'm thinking you're greeted by um, Wallace, your dog. Yes, my dog. Who has no interest. So I clean his feet. Yes, exactly. So we don't have that. So what do we do, right? What do we wash our feet on? Typically, we have a doormat. We have something that is at our door, and that's where we just wipe off our feet. So if you think about that role, that's really what Jesus is doing. He's their doormat in that moment. Like, they don't have to wipe their feet on the doormat because he's doing it for them. And gosh, that hits right at the heart because I'm like, no, Jesus, don't do that. You're... You're our God. You're our Savior. Don't be the doormat. Um, But that's really what he does. He does kind of the grossest, lowest job. Um, And I think that's what we have to think about when we think about servant leadership. It's not about letting ourselves be abused or demeaned. Um, We can't walk through our whole lives as doormats. That's not what I believe God calls us to do. But I do think that he calls us in seasons or in moments or in situations to say, hey, you need to let that person do their thing or you need to do the job that isn't very fun. I've cleaned toilets for Jesus before <laughs> doing mission work and, and all those things. And that's not fun, but sometimes it's what God asks you to do. Sometimes he asks you to do the jobs that are kind of gross and um, that don't bring you any honor, that don't bring you any glory, that no one's going to ever know that you did it. No one's going to praise you. No one's going to pat you on the back. Um And that is, that's where servant leadership gets hard is when you have to do something that nobody else wants to do that you're going to get probably no recognition or even a pat on the back for doing, but Jesus calls us to those places. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's such a distinction between letting people walk all over you, which is never what Jesus says, Mm -hmm. but also knowing who you are and being confident in you are enough and in Christ enough that you can do those jobs and you can say, No one will know about this and this is gross and I hate doing this,
1: but you know what? It needs to be done and I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I think you touched on something so important there. You have to have that confidence in Christ and in who you are in Christ in order to do those things because we see, I think, people that are habitually exhausted or walked all over or treated badly. I just don't know that they're fully confident in who they are in Christ Mm -hmm. because I think when we're confident in Christ, we believe that we um, deserve better yeah. Like we don't need, to, God doesn't want us to be exhausted all the time. Yeah. He doesn't want us to be abused or demeaned. He wants right. us to have confidence in him. And yes, right. sometimes it means doing the things that we don't want to do, but God doesn't call us to be beaten down constantly
0: well and it's like why we'll get into motivation and more later but you know those people who are constantly giving 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 Mm -hmm. are they doing it because they think that's where their worth is or are they doing it because that's how they'll be loved are they like why is that the situation you know and so um which I think also leads us into the next little point I wanted to dig into which was boundaries Mm -hmm. um which boundaries is such an important thing and healthy boundaries and relationships you know help us have stamina to keep going in this crazy world I would say But I think as a Christian, boundaries has to be a different conversation because I would say the world often says your boundaries need to be protect yourself and your own at all costs. And those are your boundaries. And that's where people will draw their boundary lines, which if you're not a Christian and that's how you choose to live, I think, you know, I'm not going to push you on that. That's that's your code of conduct, you know, but as Mm -hmm. a Christian, I think that my boundaries look different.
1: Yeah. Yes. I think they have to look a little bit different, Um, but we also need them. Yes, oh yeah. We desperately need them. And I think I mentioned, either I said this in my sermon or I meant to. But <laughs> <laughs> I I think the church has done a much better job of talking about healthy boundaries in the last like five to 10 years, which is something that I don't think I understood until my early 20s. And as a result was in a lot of really unhealthy relationships because I felt like I had to be the savior, that I had to overcommit and serve and serve and serve and serve and serve and serve, and serve in every relationship all the time. I think what boundaries look like, for a Christian that's different is we got to let Jesus be part of that conversation yeah, absolutely. Um, because we would love to be able to say this is always a yes. This is always a no. Like we would love to be able to say that's not clear something cut. that I do. <laughs> yeah. We want it clear cut because it takes less work. Yeah. It takes the work out of. Discerning and listening to God, and actually taking the time to ask Him, "Is this what You're calling me to do, or what are You calling me to do?" Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes time to ask that question, and honestly, it takes time to hear the answer. Oh yeah, now, we don't always hear it immediately. Sometimes in my life, I have I feel like I've prayed about it, and I've left that room and been like, "Yep, but I know what I'm doing now." <laughs> like, but <laughs> a lot of times it's not. Sometimes yeah. it takes work takes time in scripture. It takes time in prayer and talking to people that you trust to discern what God is doing. I think more often than not we just don't want to do that. We just want to decide right away like fine I'll just do it or Mm -hmm. you know what I'm not going to do that because it's easier to make the decision right away than to actually dialogue with the Lord. To do the work
0: and to Mm -hmm. know before you go into it of Jesus is calling me to this boundary at this time in my life.
1: Yeah. I think it comes into play a lot with conflict because sometimes I believe Jesus is going to say, that's the hill you're going to die on. Don't let this go. You fight for it. Keep pushing. But other times in life, I know God has said, hey, step back. We're not dying on this hill. Yeah. And that's where I think that doormat thing comes into play because sometimes when we let someone else win, we feel like a doormat. Mm -hmm. Um, but those are, I, I absolutely believe that God doesn't call us to fight every single battle we think is necessary. Sometimes it's about stepping back and saying, okay, if that's the choice you're going to make, I'm going to let you win that one. Mm Mm-hmm in conflict or in an argument or, or whatever. And those are the moments I think where we don't like to ask God what we should do.
0: Yeah. Well, and the question of what hill am I going to die on is so closely tied to self-care because if you die on every hill, you're going to burn out. And if you never die on a hill, you're going to feel walked over and not feel confident. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, it there's, it's a pendulum back and forth and it's never clear cut. It's never the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's definitely, it takes work to really sit and dive into and, Um, Know for yourself and for the people around you how to handle that, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think it also comes back to in scripture, we're told that our bodies are temples. Yeah, So we're supposed to treat them well. Mm -hmm. So I just don't believe that God wants us to just beat up on ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. Women really, I think, fall into that trap of thinking they have to say yes to everything all the time. Um, But again, that's just that. It's that resistance of not wanting to ask God, do you want me to do this or this? Do you want me to not do this? Do you want me to do this? We don't. We're hesitant, I think, to have that dialogue. And as a result, we're going to be really, really tired. And we'll feel like we're doing it right. We'll feel like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm serving and I'm giving and I'm doing all the things. But we've effectively cut Jesus out of it if we're doing that. Which is so weird to think,
0: I need to set boundaries. I need to talk to Jesus about this. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think I would naturally think that. But that's definitely um, a healthy tool in how do you find that balance and how do you work in a healthy right. way in life and so I think kind of off of doormats and boundaries I think something that's helpful in my life to remember is that things happen in seasons yeah right and I think we, we see this in nature there's nature in season there's seasons in nature and sometimes there's four it's Oklahoma sometimes there's 12 you yeah. never know um, <laughs> sometimes there's one <laughs> yeah you know you never know um, but I think seasons just teaches me so often that like this won't last forever mm-hmm. you know there's, there's things that will up and flow maybe you're in a season where you need to sit and heal before you can move forward. There was a time when I was in college where I spent an entire semester just pretty much in my dorm room with my Bible the entire time because that's what I needed in that season. Mm -hmm. But then ever since that season, there's been times I needed to go back to that for a little bit. But ever since that season, I've been more able to pour out and work out of my calling and my identity and Mm -hmm. all those things. And there's seasons where maybe you're called to be a doormat for a longer period of time than you're used to or, or whatnot. So I think seasons are important to remember and have eternal perspective on of yeah. this necessar-
1: This won't necessarily last forever I totally agree I remember also I think it was the tail end of college so I had spent pretty much my whole life I grew up in a really small Baptist church it was the kind of church where everybody did everything all the time like when the doors were open we were there and it was small so it was totally all hands on deck we had three people on staff <sighs> And one of them was the pastor's wife and she was a secretary. (laughs) So (laughs) it was all hands on deck. No one worked in children's. No one worked in students at that point. And so I was constantly giving and serving. And I came to this like kind of mini crisis where I was worried, like, do I even know what I believe anymore? Am I just, I was serving so much. I lost my identity and who I was in Jesus other than just keeping the church afloat. So what I felt so strongly that God called me to was a season of going to church and actually a different church in that period of time. And all I did was sit in the back. I didn't really even build relationships. I didn't get to know people and I didn't volunteer to serve, even though it was like a tick. I was like, I need to volunteer. I need to do something. (laughs) They would say, we need help in the nursery. And I was like, me, 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 I should do it. And I had to like pull myself back from that. And it was one of the sweetest times I've ever spent in my life with the Lord because it was just me and him. And I learned so much because I wasn't in the busyness and the chaos and the work that it takes to serve the church. Now, I don't obviously still do that, yeah, I think that would be sinful if I went past a period of time where God said, hey, we're going to do nothing. It's just me and you. And I would say, well, you know... I'm sorry, I, I can't help forever. with that. Yeah, I can't help with that because God actually calls me to just be a spectator. <laughs> oh, he did in that season though. Yeah, I know he did. And then when it came time, I was ready to say, yeah, I'm ready to jump back in. I'm ready to try this and try this. And now I work in ministry, um, but I had to be obedient in that season where he was like, okay, stop running around. Stop holding babies and making a casserole and <laughs> you know all these things at the same time. Like, yeah. Just be with me. But that was a season, a beautiful season, but a season nonetheless.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it reminds me of the example of trenches of, you know, there's hills and valleys and trenches. Mm-hmm. And I see trenches as like the hard work, the nitty gritty, the, the, you know, um, lowest of the low, the mud, all those things is a picture I get when I think of trenches. And so, um, yeah, there's season on the mountaintop and there's seasons, mm-hmm. um, in the valleys and whatnot, but we're called to the trenches. Yeah, We're called absolutely. to go in and help other people get through those trenches. And so I, I see that as seasons, you know, there's places in different times and, um, only you and God can really, really know what season you're in. You know, other people don't necessarily get that say over your life. But um, remember on both sides, don't stay in a season of only being a doormat forever and don't stay in a season of only thinking of yourself and you and God for a season. You know, you need both, but there's a balance for sure. Yes, I absolutely.
1: completely agree. Got to let Jesus be part of that conversation yes, with yeah, you. Once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, so something that James touched on in the modern and traditional service is about um identity and servant and whatnot. And Sarah has, um, a great, I don't want to call it an example because it's not an example, but has great teaching on kind of our mantle
1: and what that looks like. And so Sarah. Yeah. So I think what we see James and John doing in the scripture is they have identified a mantle that they want. They want to be on the right and the left of Jesus, which if we think about like a feudal system where there's a King the person on their right and left is like their highest advisor, the highest, right. the person that's highest honored in the kingdom other than the King himself. So that's the mantle they want. They want to be right there on the right and left, highest places of honor. And what Jesus essentially says to them is that mantle's not yours. He even says it's not mine to give. That's already been prepared for someone else. So I, I think of that and I wonder how often we're trying to take up a mantle that doesn't belong to us. How often are we trying to act as a savior for other people, when they already have a savior, and I think that can really fall really um, easily into the trap of servant leadership, as we become not the servants but the savior. Right, um, and that's not our job. Like we have a savior, we have Jesus. We, he doesn't need us to do that. He yeah. doesn't need us to save people. Sometimes he works mightily through us in other people's lives, and that's such a blessing. But they have a savior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with mantles too. A lot of times we want to take up a mantle, whether it be a certain position in a church structure or on a staff. Even at the end of the day, that all that honor and all that glory and all that power, if you will, that is always supposed to be God's. Right. So when we're trying to take it for ourselves, we're taking a mantle that doesn't belong to us, and mm-hmm. that's not um, that's not biblical that's, that results in the kind of things that we see here in the scripture. It results in, um, dissension and, and, and conflict and, um, arrogance. And that's not what God calls us to, but I think so often we're trying to take up mantles that don't belong to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's knowing your lane, knowing your call and your identity and whatnot as a Christian, not necessarily specifically, but as a Christian, we're called to help others and to lead others to Christ. But mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit does the convicting, Christ does the saving. Yeah. You know, we have we have a part to play, but we don't have the most important part to play, which mm-hmm. is super important. And I think um mantle, motivation, and mindset all really three beautiful M's. Yeah. Um three Ms. kind of all sit together. So I think your motivation is super important in this. Yeah. You know, why are you doing what you're doing? What's your heart behind it? And God tells us often he judges the heart. And so mm-hmm. um, he doesn't judge the outward actions necessarily. I mean, that's a different topic, broad statement. So don't, <laughs> yeah, don't die topic. on that hill. But yeah, um, don't quote her on yeah, that. Yeah, don't quote me yes. on that. But in the context of motivation, you know, he judges the heart. Why are you doing what you're doing? Which yeah. oftentimes only God can
1: see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the the motivation is maybe the key to this idea of servant leadership. Um, some of us like to serve because we get looked at and mm-hmm. we get praised and and seen for that. Um some of us like to serve because no one looks at us. Right. And we don't have to lead and we don't have to take a stand. But it doesn't ma- I I don't think between those two that one is better than the other. It's all about the heart posture. Yeah. Are we really willing to do what God asks us to do? Are we really willing to serve because we're not trying to get the honor and glory for ourselves, we want it for Jesus? The the heart I think is I would agree with you. I think it's everything here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, in our mindset, you know, um, Sarah has posed a great question of just if God called you, would you do it? Mm-hmm. If he called you to X, Y, Z, would you do it? You know, what's right. your mindset in that?
1: Right. I think there's that um, that tension, if you will. Um, there's people that are hesitant to do things like cleaning the toilets on a mission trip um, because it's gross, because it doesn't bring them on or because they're not going to get a pat on the back. But on the flip side, there's people that are like, I will gladly clean the toilet if you never make me lead or step out or take a stand or step in the spotlight even a little bit. Right. And in both of those situations, I don't think that one is better than the other because it's about the heart. It's about would I do. If God asked me if I would want to be a church mouse and, and hide in the back and sort the bulletins and no one ever knows I was even there, would I be willing to step in? into the spotlight if God asks me to do? And on the flip side, for someone that is going to struggle with that, that wants to be out front leading, leading the committees, leading the charge, organizing things, that's their natural bent, would they take a season on the bench Mm -hmm. if God asks them to do? Are we really willing to do whatever it is? Most of the time, I think we're really willing to do whatever is comfortable or familiar um, or is a means to an end, but not necessarily whatever God is asking us to do.
0: Which is a scary question. And I think, you know, how do you get to a point where you would be able to say yes to whatever God is asking you to do? And I think it just comes back to abiding, which I think has been the theme from all of these podcasts has come back to, you know, how do you do that? How do you do this? How do you work into that? And I think just abiding in Christ is so important because when your love for him grows daily and when you are digging into him and he calls you, you're going to want to do what he wants you to do because mm-hmm. you're on his team and following his mission. And um, that term abiding is just so key to so many things Yes, um, in Christianity and in Scripture. You
1: know, that's what Jesus mm-hmm. reminds us so often is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. Um, so. I think that's what I mean when I say we've got to be willing to do that dialogue with Jesus of asking, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do this? What are you asking me to do? That all comes down to abiding. Yeah. That all comes down to that willingness to abide and walk with Jesus in, in every way mm-hmm. and in every day. yeah. But that takes discipline and work. And so we often just want to blow through our lives and assume that we know what God's asking us to do. But life is so much richer when we're abiding. We have that deep relationship. It's like a marriage, like any friendship, that relationship is richer when you're abiding in one another, when you're with one another, like, I mean, Melissa and I are pals and we work at, we work at church, so we get busy. And I can always tell, like, if it's been a few weeks since we've been able to get lunch or hang out and then we do again, I'm like, oh, I love this girl. You know, like our relationship is richer and better when we actually get to see each other. And it's the same with the Lord only we have access to him all the time. We don't have to like cross our fingers and hope that he's free for lunch. He's free for lunch. (laughs) Yeah, all (laughs) the time. He's always hungry for lunch, guys. Always (laughs) down for lunch, always down for coffee. Yeah, And even if you're not down for lunch or coffee, he's still there. Um, And when we abide in him, I think it makes these questions of self-care and serving a lot simpler yeah. um, because we have a sense of trust that he's going to tell me what I need to do. Mm-hmm. He's going to he's gonna lead me when it's time to take a bubble bath versus when it's time to clean the tub. You know, it's just, yeah. he's going to be there.
0: It's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I hope you guys enjoyed.
1: Um, I always love hearing people
0: dig into their passion and hear about how they came to conclusion or points from scripture. And so
1: Sarah is our Oh, what's your official title? Asbury Kids Ministry Coordinator. Yes. I'm basically over all things kids. I have my hands in all of it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. She's also getting her master's at Asbury
0: Seminary, Mm -hmm. which is awesome and super cool. Um, And so, yeah, we hope that you guys... Liked this. And so next time I'll reveal the official title for this podcast. As you can tell, I've officially uh, avoided saying any type of title. My uh, working title has been YAMP. YAMP. Uh, young Adult Ministry Podcast, which it's not going to be the official title. I but think it should. Be I think the it's official pretty fun. Title. Pretty dang fun. That's um, a great one. We can get shirts and
1: everything. Can you imagine if yes. we all just walked around with shirts that just said "yamp"? Yamp. I feel like you can really yell it at people. But yeah. that's not it could the be goal. A yamp. But we could turn yamp. it into a verb. Hey, do you want to yamp with me on Monday? <laughs> Ooh, that sounds bad. Never mind. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, moving forward. Um, <laughs> But anyway, we hope that you guys enjoy listening and will continue listening. And so just to close, Sarah, will you pray
1: over our listeners? I will. Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every person that is listening, thinking, reflecting on on these things. Um, we pray that you would use this podcast and um, these sermons as a way to call us to abide in you. Lord, I pray over each of these people listening. I pray over them as they consider the words that we are saying and mostly the words that God is saying and how that is affecting and impacting them. I pray over them in their day, whether they're driving in their car or listening to this at work. um, I pray your rich blessing over them and pray that they would sense your nearness to them as they go about their lives and about their day. We thank you for Asbury and the way that you use Asbury in each and every one of our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.